Mindfulness Mode 323. The opposite of addiction isn't abstinence or sobriety. The opposite of addiction is... The opposite of addiction. Well, hey listeners, hey Mindful Tribe, Bruce Langford here with the Mindfulness Mode podcast. I don't usually start off with a cliffhanger like that, but it just seemed right this time. I think there are so many misperceptions about addiction. I think that it's misunderstood and I think that mindfulness can definitely play a positive role into this whole topic of addiction and we all know someone I I think almost everyone knows someone or knows of someone who has suffered and had to deal with the consequences of addiction so I think it's an extremely important topic I want to thank you for joining us today please share the episode share the podcast and subscribe that helps immensely too to subscribe on whatever app you're listening on so sit back relax and benefit from my friend Jeff Jones hey Jeff are you in mindfulness mode today thank you for the question yeah the question always helps me to amp that up. Yes, I am in mindfulness mode, and the question really um, is appreciated because another reminder is always helpful. Well, Jeff, I am looking forward, like I said, to talking with you so much, and I want to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit about you and, and what you do. Jeff Jones is a therapist, an addiction counselor, an interventionist, and a family recovery coach. And he works online with families with addiction. He worked. He was a student in a spiritual school for 13 years. And as a result, he has a deep concept, a deep understanding of mindfulness and applies it to his work with families who have an addicted loved one. And Jeff has actually expanded the context of addiction and created a three-phase program that empowers families to safeguard their loved one in an addictive cycle or recovery while they engage in a process to stop the addiction cycle in this generation. So we're going to talk about all this, Jeff, and I'm looking forward to it so much. What does mindfulness mean to you, Jeff? Wow. Big question. So in a very simplistic way, you know, mindfulness is me just being aware of what's going on in inside my body, like my thinking, my feeling, my body sensations, how I put them all together. So it's kind of like what's around me and how it's impacting me. Um, so I think for me, that's a place where I always try to start is, you know, the environment that I'm in and how it's affecting me and, 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 and being aware of, of that. And then, you know, making good choices as to what I do with that information, like which way I want to go. Sure, of course. So I'm curious about why and how you 
fell into this field of addiction. Are you a person who has experienced addiction yourself in your life, Jeff? Well, um, sure. I, um, I guess first I want to say, well, it depends on how you define addiction. And so the way I define it is a very broad definition, which is, you know, something like any behavior that initially brings relief or pleasure. Um, but over time it ends up being problematic or even harmful. And, um, I try and try it and I can't stop. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of a broad definition. And from that definition, yes. Um, from the definition of, you know, most national organizations in the U S of it being a brain disease. Um, I I haven't been to a treatment center. I'm, I'm like, I don't have horrific stories of addiction with myself. I have stories of it being in my family and seeing the impact over time in my family. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So you've experienced it in your family and now you help other families. What is one of the first steps you take, Jeff, if someone reaches out to you and they're they're experiencing so much pain in their family because of addiction? How do you get started with that process? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Well, the first thing that I want to do is to listen, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and he, and, and really try to hear what they're telling me and, and kind of like try to assess where they're at. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of a beginning because, There is no silver bullet solution to everybody's problem at every stage and when they're finally willing to reach out. So me just kind of really listening to them, getting a sense of what they've tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what led them to actually reaching out. You know, once I start to gather that kind of data, I can get a, a good sense as to where, where they're at in their own process of dealing with this situation. Right. And what are some of the substances that many of your clients are addicted to? Wow. Um, well, primarily, With what I see, um, a lot of alcohol and opioids. Um, And so that is probably on top. Excuse me. And I live in Colorado. So there is a fair amount of um, marijuana use because it's legal. you know, but the main substance I think continues to be opioids and alcohol. So, for some of our listeners who may not know what you mean by opioids, can you break that down and describe oh, yeah. what some of them are? Sure, thank you. 
So opioids are um, painkillers. And essentially, um, people can go to the dentist, for instance, and get a tooth pulled and get painkillers. And if they're prescribed opioids um, for the pain, it's like if they're prescribed like a lot of opioids, for some people, that can get them into an addiction. So opioids are painkillers, which would be stuff like um, Vicodin, Percocets, Oxycodone or Oxycontin, um, but also like heroin is a painkiller. Mm-hmm. Um, so and with addiction, essentially, um, one the way I look at addiction, one of my big mentors is Dr. Gabor Mate, and he's a um, a medical doctor in Vancouver, Canada, and I've been following his stuff since about 2006. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really appreciate from what he says is it's it's better to ask why the pain than why the addiction because addiction is actually solving a problem that the person has and it's very temporary and it can put them at risk and it can eventually kill them you know Mm -hmm. but from their perspective, it is solving some kind of problem. And so pain, solving pain is on the top of the list. Yes. Yes. And so is it true that some people are just wired differently? They're wired in such a way that they can quickly become addicted and some people practically never do? Yes. Yeah. I am a big proponent of whatever substance we put inside of us, not every body, not every organism is going to have the same reaction to that substance. And because of just what you said, the way that the person is wired, um, their history can be their um, childhood history with trauma it, it, it can be um, carrying the grief and pain for, a, for one's own family um, can also be a factor. So there's a, there's a lot of factors that contribute to how vulnerable an individual is going to be to addiction. Well, Jeff, earlier you mentioned about how most national organizations in the United States say it's a brain disease. Where did they come up with this? Do you believe it's a brain disease? Oh, gosh. I am a proponent of both and, you know. So whether it's a brain disease or not, um, my work doesn't really impact my work with families. It, it, it more or less confuses families. And I get why they call it a brain disease. One, because the organ in the body that is impacted is the brain. And so, of course, the brain is impaired. 
it's not functioning properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that. Um, the brain disease thing, it's convenient in a number of ways because um, when it is labeled a disease, then third-party providers like insurance companies can pay for treatment. Right. Um, so, you know, that's a huge benefit. Um, when it's a disease, we can look at it through like the medical lens, Mm -hmm. um, which I know is helpful, but if we just use that lens, then it limits to, you know, all the other contributing factors that are going on, um, you know, that are in our society, that are in our culture, um, trauma being just one of them. But right. yeah, am I answering your question? Yes, yes, you are. And I know that you have a three-phase program to empower families. Can you tell us about that, that program? Yeah, 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 sure. So the three phases, it's, it, it starts out with um, recognize and then goes to resource and then goes to realize and realize is about the family coming up with a plan for what they, how they want to be a family together Mm. and connect together. Um, and so addiction like, and Johan Hari, I think really said this best in his Ted talk labeled something like everything you know about addiction is wrong. And one of the things he says, the opposite of addiction isn't abstinence or sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And that's what we need. And the individual who is in an addictive cycle is connected way more intensely to the substance than to humans. So Mm -hmm. human connection is a big part of it. So this three-phase program, where the the family is going is towards connection and how do they want to connect as a family. And the first phase of it is just recognizing what all's going on. What are the contributing factors? So on my website, I go into this a little bit more um, I have a visual diagram that shows kind of what I'm trying to do in the recognized phase and in the realized phase, kind of helping the family recognize this visual picture from what I call the spotlight diagram to the matrix of health. So, you know, w- what I'm doing here is offering a, um, program, a container, an opportunity for everybody in the family to heal together. And so this can be a complement to an individual's own treatment. It can be a complement to, you know, people's in, in individual private work with their coach, with their therapist, Um, And it can also be 
early on, like in the preventative stage, when families just start to see like, wow, is there a problem going on here? Do we have addiction? Do we not have addiction? Is, is there something I should do? And so what I noticed when in the role of therapist is that families had so few resources early on. And so much of the focus was on that one person. So this three-phase program expands the focus onto everybody. And um, it isn't, it's a strength-based approach as opposed to a labeling approach, which is more of like a deficit approach. I see. I want to talk about cannabis, and you mentioned that it is a real problem in your area. How has the problem changed since it became legal? Hmm. Wow. Hard question. I'm not sure. Well, I know that I don't know the statistics specifically. Um, I, my own personal concern is less about adults and more about children mm-hmm. or teenagers because the um, developing brain of teenagers, for them to start to um, have a substance that can alter their brain chemistry and mm-hmm. um, kind of prevent their developmental process of their brain that's a problem so i think um it has been hard for teenagers specifically when they see their parents smoking marijuana and their parents saying well you shouldn't do this but they're doing it Uh so that i have seen is a challenge Mm -hmm. it's a really huge challenge and so where I live in Colorado there's dispensaries like all over the place Um, and it's very accessible Um, and so there's more research going on but there's a fair amount of like mixed messages and so my biggest concern is with the youth really Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, it, it just seems so tragic that so many people's lives are thrown into havoc because of some of these substances. And of course, it can be even food. There's addiction to food. Do you ever treat people who who have this food addiction that they just can't stop eating, even though it's harming them seriously? Oh, goodness. Um yeah. So, so I, um, food addiction is really, really hard because we can't just do abstinence with food. Right. Like, like we can with alcohol or something like, like that. So mm-hmm. for the individual, um, it's like, really having a specialized program like here where I live outside of Denver, I refer people to the eating recovery center and, you know, I have a lot of trust in, in them. I've seen a lot of wonderful 
things that they've done with people. And I have clients who have um, had problems with that and are past that. Um, it It's like really we can get addicted to so many different things and the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, um, kind of um, there so many things have become refined in a way to give us um, quicker, better, faster kind of relief mm -hmm. or pleasure. Um, and so it is so much easier to get addicted to something specifically for people who, like you said before, have the wiring, have mm -hmm. the chemistry to where they're vulnerable. Jeff, I always ask a question about bullying and I wonder if you have a story where maybe, you know, bullying was connected to addiction. Maybe bullying caught was something that triggered people to become addicted, but whatever story it is, I welcome you to share if you have one that you can yeah. share with us. Yeah, I, I do have one. And the story that I'm thinking of um, happened really not that long ago, just a couple months ago. And um, I, it is interesting how it started out because I have a number of different um, addiction mentors. And there was one in particular that I had just sent her an email kind of with a compliment of um, what I learned from her. And mm -hmm. I was just at a place where I was looking at what I was doing and having appreciation for the different people who I have learned from, whose kind of shoulders I'm standing on kind of thing. Right. So I wrote her an email and what I got back from her was a letter from her attorney. Um, so it was confusing wow. to me. Um, and I felt bullied by that. Uh -huh. Um, and so it was a very, it was a great opportunity for me to be aware of what was going on in my own thinking process. And I, I, I just couldn't really make sense of my giving her a compliment about something I had learned from her and then getting this letter from her attorney. And it was kind of like, like letting me know how to um, cite her, her reference properly, like I was stealing some of her information or something. Oh, so she so, felt threatened somehow. I, I assume so, but I, you know, called, I sent an email and I was like, Hey, I got this email from your attorney and like, can we just have a conversation? Mm -hmm. Which, um, you, you know, I got another letter from a, f from her attorney and just a couple weeks ago I was at a conference and I saw her. And she was sweet as pie to me. Nothing was said about it. So it was, I, in that situation, I felt like I was being bullied. Yes. Um, and I was aware of what was going on in my mind and painting all these, 
you know, pictures like I'm being bullied here and then to see her and get no message of that. It was um, confusing to me, but what I really learned from that, from a mindfulness perspective, is how I really need to check out my own thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't always believe my own thinking. Um, and if I don't check it out with the other person, um, it's not really going to be helpful for me to believe everything that my mind says. Now, the other side of it is I do feel that I was being bullied. I think you're absolutely right that she felt threatened. Um, But I don't know this for sure. And in the conference, I didn't really go into that question. And so, you know, I... um, I did my own inner work of what was important to me to where I didn't spiral down with my own thinking. And I think mindfulness was a very big part of me getting out of that spiral. Very interesting. And so do you meditate then? I do meditate. Yeah, I meditate every day. And um, so in this spiritual school that I was in for 13 years, I, it, it started like in, for me, 1978. And I have been meditating since then, and I've gone in and out of, you know, um, you know, at most maybe an hour a day, which is, that's quite a lot right now. Mm-hmm. I'm more at 15 or 20 minutes. Um, but I do it every day, at least once first thing when I get up, sometimes two or three times a day. And now um, it is more like a vispassana kind mm-hmm. of approach. Hmm. So you have spent a lot of time studying spiritualism. Can you tell us a little bit more about that time spent where you fully immersed for 13 years? What was it like? Yeah. Um, well, what was it like? That's a pretty open question. And where can I go with that? Um, so it was a, it was an opportunity for me to really become curious as to like the thinking that I had that led to what I did my behaviors for me to really examine that process and and then challenges in my life for me to kind of see how that connected and how I could make changes myself on where I focused my attention. So, um, you know, that's probably a very simplistic way to answer the question. I mean, I was in this for 13 years and it was a, um, a supportive process for me that took me through a transformational stage, really. And did you have one specific transformational event that happened to you? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I, I think um, when I look at my own family, so part of me doing my own work in this spiritual school was me looking a, a lot at who I am and how I got to be the way I am and looking at my own family. And so I had had conversations with my parents and one specific one I'm thinking of with my mother. Um, you, you know, my father was asleep. I was having this great conversation with my mother and um, it just kind of fit in the context. And I was asking her, you know, mom, was there ever a time in your life when you didn't feel safe? Mm -hmm. And she couldn't answer the question. Well, she did answer the question, but she looked down. She just started crying and mm -hmm. she couldn't say anything more. So she answered the question, but she gave me no specifics. And for me, the question, the context around that was around my um, grandfather, who was the alcoholic in my family. For me, my grandfather showered more love and attention upon me, but for my mom, there was trauma. Mm -hmm. And so that trauma, well, like my, my mom's kind of defensive coping mechanisms in her setting up her own family, she created a structure just like what she learned, a structure that... I, I call the spotlight diagram that um, families create through survival coping defensive mechanisms, everyone doing their very best. So I grew up in that structure. I went to a particular role and there were secrets. There was so much that my mom just never talked about. Um, so I, I, I became curious about what all was going on there and um, how I, too, in my own life, had coping, defensive coping mechanisms that I had implemented because I didn't learn anything new. Mm -hmm. um, and largely what I've developed here for families is an opportunity for them to recognize this early on and for them to, um, make new changes, changes that they're really inspired to make, learn new skills. So I change the thinking from, you know, the circular kind of image of addiction mm -hmm. to, a river journey, you know, and no family would show up at a long river trip without life jackets or without being prepared. But with addiction, this happens all the time. So I want families to be prepared to learn skills, to practice them together. And, you know, when they get further along down the river to big rapids, they're going to have a lot better chance of getting through them unscathed. And if the boat flips, they're going to know what to do. Wow, 
that's great imagery. I really appreciate that. Jeff, as we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers would be perfect. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Yeah, so I think back to um, Thich Nhat Hanh, Mm -hmm. and one of the stories I remember from him is washing the dishes. Mm-hmm. And when I wash the dishes to wash the dishes, not think about what I'm going to do next. Right. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a good tip. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jeff? Wow. Um, so what I'm aware of is that my emotions can like go to extremes whether it's spiral downwards or climb upwards kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. mindfulness for me has been a very helpful antidote to ground me in reality as opposed to right away believe any extreme, whether it's down or up. So I want to reality check it with mindfulness. Right. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Mm, Yeah. So um, when I take slow, deep breaths into my belly and actually push my belly out, it engages my parasympathetic nervous system, which slows the body down, which slows the nervous system down, calms the nervous system. And I use that, um, I have been using that in meditation so much that that's, that's kind of a natural thing that I do is right away take a big breath, even sometimes before thinking. And it has taken a long time to get there, but the slow, deep breath, it has, it's always there. It's a resource that will never leave me until my last breath. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what book would that be, Jeff? Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, so I, I think of, you know, books in this spiritual tradition that I was in. So um, Hamid Ali is his pen name. Um or A.H. Alamus is his pen name. Um, he And the book is Diamond Heart Book One, Elements of Man. Um, and it's not really a mindfulness book, but for me, it really um, started my journey to r- r- really understand how I worked. And mindfulness was a big part of that. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I really can't. I don't have a a lot of personal experience with using an app. I have curiosity about apps. Um, And I don't really have the personal experience, so I don't really have anything there to offer. However, 
I have listened to some of your podcasts. There was something that was mentioned, and I was like, I should look into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you got a, a, an idea from another show, and it's perfectly fine that you don't have one to recommend. That's no problem at all. But what you do is you work with so many people online using the Internet. Do you work with most of your clients that way? Um. So in the therapist role, I have a small private practice in my home office. Mm-hmm. Um, but the majority of my hours probably are online, are on the phone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is a majority of what I'm doing right now. So you can help anyone anywhere in the world, tell us how to connect with you, how we can, how we can actually sign up and get you your help. Sure. So my website is www.thefamilyrecoverysolution.com. And on that website are um, some choices. And um, so for around town people, which is outside of um, the Boulder, Denver area, mm-hmm. um, they would see on their counseling and inter- intervention. Um, but they would also see um, the deep community. So the deep community is probably the easiest way and the most economical way for families to connect with me and they would have a three month membership for like a hundred and ten dollars and that would include two community chats a week and a lot of um online resources um and three community chats in the in the community for people to connect with one another so Mm -hmm. Um, the idea here is for people to share information with one another. Um, it, it is not like all communication needs to go through me. Mm-hmm. So I'm really trying to create something here that families can, um, that they can be empowered to engage in at the pace that works for them. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for all the work you do because so many feel desperate. So many feel completely completely held ransom and you are offering an answer. You're offering help. So thank you so much for what you do, Jeff. And it's been a, a real pleasure and honor to have you on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. And Bruce, thank you for the invite to be on your show. I really appreciate it and I appreciate what you're doing, and I'll continue listening to your podcast. They're great. Oh, that's wonderful. So, Mindful Tribe, don't forget to check this out. Don't forget to, you know, make sure that you're open to reaching out because that's sometimes just what you have to do. Take that first step and reach out and go to www.thefamilyrecoverysolution.com and Jeff can help you. Jeff Jones can help you. 
and he wants to help you. So do reach out the family recovery solution. Let that settle into your brain and just go and, you know, when you have an opportunity, look it up and sign up the family recovery solution.com. So thanks again, Jeff, for being on the show today. You're welcome. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.